Hello everyone, my name is Chloe and welcome to a new season of The Burning Case, a place for critical conversations about our future on this planet and how policy making, but also radical democracy, are essential to make sure that future is not only green, but also fair and inclusive. We'll be chatting about the burning issues of our time, how policies are made and give you the tools to overhaul the system. Let's get started. Hi friends and welcome to a new episode of The Burning Case. At the moment of this recording, the second week of COP27 has just begun. And while I'm personally not expecting groundbreaking results from this edition, besides hopefully some good news on the loss and damage front, this COP is taking place in a very specific context. Not only a crossroad for climate, but also a moment where Europe has to reinvent its energy supply after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And as Europe is moving away from Russian gas, it's looking at other sources of supply, not that we're happy about this, and is joined by the fossil fuel industry in a dash for gas in Africa. We're seeing governments and companies rushing to explore, extract and ultimately export fossil gas from the continent into international markets to bridge the shortfall of Russian gas and profit of high commodity prices. At the same time, African leaders and elites are using the argument of quote-unquote economic prosperity to legitimize a huge expansion in gas production, when expanding fossil gas production is not only a disaster for the climate, but will devastate natural environment and communities. So today we'll be talking to a representative of the Don Gas Africa campaign, which is led by African civil society, and calling on governments in African global north, as well as multinational fossil fuel companies, to halt the dash for gas. We'll be chatting about the expectations for COP27, why this is a crucial issue and what we can do in the global north to support this movement. But first, I will pass on to Melissa for today's hot news. Hello everyone. It's no surprise that as per usual, a lot has been going on in the news lately. But today we've decided to focus on the upcoming FIFA Football World Cup and more specifically, the growing boycott movement that has been rattling FIFA for the last few months. The upcoming World Cup is the most controversial yet. Put plainly, it is an environmental and human rights disaster. Some alarming and tragic facts which should resonate louder than any football match score are that over 6,500 workers lost their lives. It is expected that at least 3.6 million tonnes of carbon dioxide will be produced by the tournament, which is 1.5 million more than was produced by the previous tournaments. 160 daily shuttle shuttle flights between Qatar and neighbouring countries are expected to fly out. As a result, in the last few months, we've seen a growing boycott movement led by civil society, athletes, public figures, etc. In German stadiums, for example, huge banners calling for a boycott have become a familiar sight and a part of the Boycott Qatar campaign. Similar campaigns have also emerged across Europe, namely in Spain and France, where a number of cities have refused to set up big screens to show games. Footballers themselves are also taking a stance. Philipp Lahm, the former German team captain, announced that he wouldn't be going to Qatar as part of the official delegation or as a fan. Similarly, the former Finnish national team captain, Tim Spav, has also been a prominent voice raising concerns about Qatar. Overall, campaigners are aware that the boycott movement will not result in a cancellation. However, it hopes that the momentum it gained over the last few months and the disruptions it has caused to FIFA and Qatar will be enough to make sure that a Qatar-like scenario will not happen again. And now let's rejoin Chloe and today's guests. 
So to discuss this, I am currently with Dean Bekumudzi, I hope I said it right, campaigner at Dongas Africa. Hi, Dean, how are you doing? I guess you're currently at COP and I wanted to ask you how you're doing, but also, which I think is sort of relevant considering the time we're recording this, what is your coffee order? Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Um, funny enough, I, I don't drink hot beverages, but I do take coffee every day and I order a fizzuccino. So it's like coffee, but in, in, in crushed ice. Okay. Interesting. I've never heard that. Mm, that sounds nice. Um, okay. Let's dive straight in. You're currently at COP27. What are your main expectations? Well, there's quite a number of expectations, but probably if I am to break them down into like three items, I would say we would really appreciate them if we could get this out of COP to get a commitment towards a loss and damage facility that would really cater towards um, climate debt reparations. We would really like them to not adopt gas as a transition fuel. And uh, number three, a really open and transparent consultative process with civil societies across the globe, particularly women and indigenous communities. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds all sounds super relevant. The Don't Guess Africa campaign that you're currently at COP with is a campaign led by African civil society to ensure Africa is not locked into fossil gas production. It is led by activists across Africa ahead of COP27 who are demanding, as you said, an end to fossil gas and other dirty, dangerous, obsolete and inappropriate energy systems. Can you tell us a little bit about how the campaign came to be? You know, sort of what are the organizations that are part of it? Sure. So the Don't Gas Africa campaign particularly is here because of a failed energy system and an energy system that has left 600 million Africans without energy access. And earlier in the year, we had the African Union propose um, a technical community working paper that was really going to ground Africa's energy future on gas and nuclear energy. And at this point, there was strong communique coming out as gas as an alternative that is green and an alternative that is clean. But unfortunately, gas is still fossil fuel production. And because currently Africa and the global south is are one of the key spots across the globe that are vulnerable to the climatic shocks as a result of the climatic emergency. There have been a lot of floods, a lot of droughts, and we do not see the logic around continuing fossil fuel production if the result is more and more people will be left vulnerable in terms of the climatic shocks. It could be tornadoes, it could be floods, it could be storms, it could be famines. So when this was proposed, we reacted because we would appreciate you know, African leaders to invest in more sustainable solutions, which in this case would be renewable energy. And grounding this on fossil fuel production, gas in this instance, will stop us from leapfrogging towards renewable energy, which offers much more better benefits. Mm, yeah, it's it's very interesting because it's exactly the same sort of arguments that are currently being used in Europe around gas. You know, let's use gas as a sort of transition fuel and this amazing communication exercise, you know, to call gas natural gas instead of fossil gas, because as you said, it is still fossil fuel. And in the minds of a lot of people, because it's called natural gas, it's actually more sustainable as well. Um, do you see this support for gas as sort of a consensus among African leaders? 
or are there um, voices that are strongly opposing um, this move towards gas? Well, I think that is one of the biggest questions. There hasn't been a common position from African leaders, particularly because the AU position paper was actually driven by energy, transport and petroleum ministers. So there's a big disconnect because the huge question then becomes where are the climate change ministers, where are the environment ministers, are they being consulted? And particularly when we submitted our memo to the African Union, the Africa Group of Negotiators quashed that proposal, which was a very good small win. But that did not stop because we saw different spots leading up to COP where, again, gas was being proposed as a transition fuel. For example, Africa Energy Week, where in Cape Town, that happened, I think, sometime in September, where we had petroleum ministers and energy ministers coming together to see how they can leverage, you know, new gas explorations in order to advance Africa's future. Again, the heads of states were absent. Again, the African environment ministers were absent. Again, the CSO networks were absent. We've got AMSEN as well that happened in Senegal, Dakar, where we did take note that, you know, they had put gas on the agenda. We sent out the memo, we sent out a letter saying CSOs across Africa, over 250 of them are saying no. We never got a response, but we do know that that wasn't necessarily discussed during that um, convening. So the problem we're faced is with there's so much pushback from civil society, but there's very little communication from governments and there's very little feedback. So we are hoping that on the ground, our, our voices have been heard and are being taken into consideration, but we particularly have not received any co- co- communication or even acknowledgement, really, of our efforts. So, for example, if you do send out those emails or send out those letters, no one particularly engages with us. But we are quite happy with the position that we're in, for example, because SE4O, who held a forum in June early this year, just before the change in EU taxonomy, had 10 ministers advance gas. And that led to Africa Energy Week that formed Team Energy Africa. And recently, Climate Home News exposed one of the members of African Energy Chamber and that created a ripple effect where we saw SE4O and even other UN bodies such as UNECA pulling out of Team Energy Africa, which was particularly set up by a group of individuals who were pushing for oil, gas, and coal. And that is a very, very, very small but very good win. Because this COP has got the most, most active and the most fossil fuel lobbyists ever. Yeah, if we backtrack a little bit. So to your knowledge, is there any specific government currently in power on the African continent that sort of is doing better and sort of has been opposing publicly this push for gas or not really? I think to answer you, the answer is not really. But what we do have is we do have a few governments that we acknowledge as champions and we would like to actually have champions of renewable energy, right? So, for example, in this instance, Rwanda is really pushing towards the direction of renewable energy. But at the same time, we have in that very same region in East Africa, Tanzania, who signed a deal here at COP on gas, 
We've got Namibia as well in Sub-Saharan Africa who've signed a deal on green hydrogen. But then particularly the government that I want to mention is Kenya. Kenya currently runs on renewable energy, which is fantastic, and they could be a champion of that. But Kenya provides us with a very, very important case study because we have to understand that as we are moving away from fossil fuels, we have to understand what we're moving away from and what we and where we are going. So where are we transitioning to? And if that transition is just. So Kenya provides us with a special case study because they are a champion, because they are pushing for renewable energy. But they are wind and hydro projects in as much as they are buying to produce energy access for Kenyans was never done in a free, prior and informed consent. So in the spirit of trying to unlock and secure the energy future for the people of Kenya, a significant number of people were left displaced as a result of those renewable energy projects because there was a lack of free, prior and informed consent. Which brings us back to the initial point that there has to be a dialogue between governments, CSOs and indigenous communities. Only then are we able to say no to fossil fuels, let's leapfrog towards renewable energy, but let's not let's do more than that, but do it in an equitable way, in an equal way, in a way that does not really result in a position where we're leaving people vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a a very broad follow-up question um, that you'll probably think is too broad, Uh, but if you can bring some elements of answer before we diving into the role of of, um, Europe in this push for gas, it's what do you think is currently um, driving this this move towards gas and this locking into fossil fuel on the African continent. Um, I was reading an article the other day that said that for some African leaders who have been promised for so long um, funding to transition away from um, fossil fuel into renewables, funding from the global north that hasn't um, gotten there. Uh, We still millions and millions of euros and dollars, billions actually short of the funding that was promises. And so after years and years and years, they end up sort of looking into their own soil and being like, well, you know, I was promised that amount and it still hasn't gotten there. And I do have actually gas in my soil or or, um, oil and a company is coming and promising me that amount. So why the hell not? You know, why the hell not should I not exploit these resources? Do you think that's one of the main driver? Um, and if not, what are what could others be? I think there is definitely a lack of com- commitment, right? Let's put it there, where a lot of individuals say, yes, renewable energy is the future, but fossil fuels are the only way to get the money necessary to get there, right? If I'm understanding your question. And that's simply not true, that there isn't money available for renewable energy. There are many renewable energy projects being pursued all over the world, but it's not enough. What is true is that fossil fuels are subsidized with hundreds of billions per year globally, and that there are concentrated interest groups, foreign governments, multinationals, and and global south elites, who have a clear interest in continuing extraction and and blocking renewable energy developments and policies. And the only way towards renewables is not to double down on entrenching those interests, 
is to directly call them out and challenge them. Even if it was true that there's somehow no money coming in from the north, from the global north, to invest in fossil fuels, the global south is definitely owed money to the by the north. But waiting for that money is not a good reason to not start our own alternative development pathways. Every year, the net financial flow from south to north are over $2 trillion. We will not achieve real development by just simply waiting for $100 billion, as promised in COP26. And we certainly won't achieve real development by doubling down on the fossil fuels, which are the backbone of this extractive system. The only way we can change this is by framing our development goals from the export-led extractive system of now to a new model of South-to-South collaboration, a model where we harness the incredible wealth of resources of renewable energy potential, which Africa has abundance of, of ingenuity and spirit, and is grounded on principles and values driven and for Africans. The idea that the only way for Africa to pursue renewable energy is to wait on climate finance is a dangerous distraction perpetuated by those with an interest in continued fossil development. Yes, we are owed a climate debt, but also, yes, we can pursue another pathway from today using our existing resources. Mm, yeah, thank you for that answer. And you actually answered the question that I, I wanted to ask you next was um, about the opposition that many make between, um, you know, development and, and energy um, and renewable energy specifically. Um, just before I ask you just a few questions about the, the sort of what's happening um, with European, um, the European Union getting away from, from Russian gas, I just wanted to ask you, if you had to define the Don Gas Africa campaign in three words, what would they be? <laughs> that's the, well, that'll be Don Gas Africa. But oh, that's uh, a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> um, but I think it would be Africa, people-centered. Nice, nice, clear, and um, straight to the point. Um, so one of the things that you know the, the Don Guess Africa um, campaign also mentions is um, the the current context, right? So since February and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, the European Union has been sort of desperate to find other sources of energy and specifically fossil gas in order to replace um, Russian gas since sanctions have been um, slowly been implemented. And that is sort of leading to Europe looking everywhere at any other sources of gas it can get its hand on um, in order to sort of secure the next few years. And what we're seeing, particularly in, in Brussels, is a very strong lobby from the fossil fuel industry to say that we urgently need more gas and more infrastructure um, and that we shouldn't necessarily double down our investment on renewable now, but that we should double down our investment on sort of new gas sources. How does that translate or risks translating um, into on the African continent? Um, we've been seeing a lot of leaders, a lot of European leaders, um, you know, supporting new gas project, but also Scholz, for instance, the German chancellor, um, visited Senegal to pursue new projects there. Um, it also said that Germany should finance exploration of gas fields. It's made attempts at the European Council to get the EU state to support gas extraction. And in September, we've also seen um, Joseph Borrell, the EU's foreign affairs chief, 
encourage Mozambique government to accelerate the gas program. Is this what we risk seeing more of with this sort of scramble um, for, for gas in Africa? The answer is yes, because we acknowledge that there's an energy crisis in Europe. We have an energy crisis too in Africa, and we have to come together with our brothers in Europe, with our brothers and comrades here in Africa, not to use energy crisis as a reason to continue or as an excuse to continue fossil fuel production. There has to be another way we can sustainably tackle the energy crisis in the emerging global economy, while also at the same time tackling the ongoing climate crisis. So the dash for gas is very much important in this context because European governments and multinational fossil fuel companies and their financial backers are all too willing to subject Africans to pollution, environmental degradation, and more frequent and severe climatic impacts while they profit at our expense. And we cannot say that this instance will be different because that was the commonality with oil and gas. I mean, oil and coal in this instance. Because history and the history of extractivism in Africa by polluting countries has always been grounded on exploitation. Already currently in Mozambique with the insurgents, a significant number of people are vulnerable as a result of gas. The dash for gas for Africa is a gender issue as well because it does not currently if we look at how the infrastructure of the energy sector is, does not include women. The dash for gas is a political issue because currently under fossil fuel governed energy system, there is no democratic control and it does not foster ownership. So it will only leave Africa vulnerable to being controlled by foreign ownership all over again. The dash for gas for Africa, like you said, should be likened to the scramble for Africa because once again, a lot of the decisions are being made on behalf of Africa and Africa is not present. And that really sounds familiar, particularly if we look at it from a neo-colonial outlook. The dash for gas for Africa is an equality issue because any conversation about the climate crisis means nothing without taking into account how it affects vulnerable communities. And with all these arguments, we are at a crossroads. And we have seen that at every stage of fossil fuel production, it leaves Africa at risk to getting locked into a fossil fuel production that will lock out Africans from affordable energy and a thriving natural world with clean air. Mm. Yeah, and it resonates with what um, Patience Nabukelu, an activist from Uganda, actually said in the first days of COP. She called out the hypocrisy of European leaders, notably Olaf Scholz, um, who's calling for you know no new fossil fuel projects and investments in renewable energy, but having no problem for European companies to develop new infrastructure in Africa, notably the East African crude oil crude oil pipeline, also known as um, ECOP. So just um, two final questions, and then I'll let you go with your super, super busy um, day at COP. Who are you targeting mainly at COP? Is it mainly EU leaders or is it mainly African leaders or both? 
you know, the beautiful thing about the Don't Cast Africa campaign is we have a lot of support from across, across the globe. Our African partners, definitely we are targeting the African leaders because we do not want them to adopt fossil fuel gas production as an alternative. And because one of the main reasons as to why that is such an alternative right now is particularly because of that big German push, which is why international solidarity has been fantastic. And we've had German, Italian, Spanish, um, French civil society organizations standing in solidarity because they even submitted a solidarity letter to the European uh, uh, um, uh, to European governments a week before COP to say we are not telling Africans how to define their energy systems, but we are telling you, Europe, you have no place in deciding that future. So fundamentally, there is so much support from everywhere and it's so genuine and authentic. And we really hope that we get a big win because the science doesn't lie. You know, the floods don't lie. There's a significant number of people die every day as a result of climate change. And something just simply has to be done. And I met someone here at COP who's been to COP1, right? That means that he was here when all this started. And he said that, I thought that this was going to take two to three years. And here we are, 30 years into the future, and we still haven't made solid decisions. Yeah, and, and my final question is, you mentioned this big win um, this is something that we always try to do on the podcast. It's it's not just informative. We really try to provide um, opportunities to get involved for people who listen. What can people do to support the campaign? What can people do concretely um, to prevent this um, dash for gas? Is it to really put pressure on European leaders? Um, are there any specific online actions, anything that people can get involved with in order to support the campaign? It'd be great to visit the Don't Gas Africa website. Um, simply just googling down, you know, and searching for Don't Gas Africa, the website will pop up. But if you're an if you, if you're an organization, but if you're an individual, it'll be great to move over to Global Citizen and just type in Global Citizen Don't Gas Africa, and there will be an individual sign on, which has received close to ten thousand signatures right now, in 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 under three months, and you could just potentially just sign up and you know sign the petition and say and say no to gas um, but at the same time there is also a link up on global citizen where you can actually share your story regarding fossil fuel production and how it has left you vulnerable in your own climate story and give yourself a voice so that we may hear that and amplify that that's that's great to know we'll definitely link um the uh, the website and we'll link the global citizens call on the podcast description thank you so much dean for taking the time taking these 27 minutes in your day at cop 27 um to talk to us about the don gas africa campaign thank you for the amazing work that you do and uh, yeah let's be in touch thank you so much chloe and have an amazing day yourself and that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it and that you'll be back for the next one. In the meantime, if you want to support the podcast, you can click follow on Spotify and Apple Music. And if you think your community might find our content interesting, don't hesitate to share our episodes on social media or in the old-fashioned way by talking to your friends. Bye for now and have a great day.